0: the open mic to which I received the transcript yesterday that
1: was only she's one watched, of his yeah. that was only one
0: there were more yeah. that
1: was, that was one person's speech like, she wrote it all down from your class she like that was okay, on she, her, like, she, all she all read all from it from class, like,
0: so that was very thousands. funny I had a lot of laughing walking um, back to the men's program my wife enjoyed it tremendously
2: <laughs> <laughs> <So>. it's on the recording, recording oh, okay. so play it for her
0: <laughs> so
3: it's amazing
0: What I especially appreciate is that everything there is basically factual. (laughs) Some of it's like taking two factual things and squeezing them together, but... Okay. Um, if we could put the smartphones in the wicker basket.
3: I don't even know where my phone is.
0: Okay. Fine. So... Quick review: Every Jew has a godly soul. No soul is more godly than any other godly soul because what does being godly consist of? It doesn't consist of anything other than being godly. So you can't have have be better at it or worse at it. However, functioning in the world as a godly being, that has distinct stages. Does anyone know what those stages are called?
2: Oh, yeah. Nefesh,
0: Ruach, and Neshama. Nefesh would parallel what stage of human development if you're talking about functioning as a human being? Behavior. Well, you're remembering... Thing. What? Actions? It act, yes, it relates to actions. And which stage of human development when human beings are developing is very action-oriented?
2: Child, Childhood. childhood.
0: baby's childhood, right? And then Ruach would be more which stage of human development?
2: Motive. Teenage,
0: Teenage years, right? Where you have to like, figure out how to have an emotional life of your own, not just be a lackey onto your parents. <laughs> and then finally, mm-hmm. what it would be Nishama that would correspond to? Adulthood. Adulthood, and what, what is the difference between an adult versus a child and teenager? You by the way, many people, maybe, intellect, and what does intellect allow, that your life is about what? What is your life about if you really have life guided by intellect? Something
2: greater
0: than yourself, greater than yourself which unfortunately means many people who are biologically, in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties have not yet graduated to being adults. Um, but, unfortunately. Okay, now just like human functioning consists of different faculties, godly functioning consists of different faculties. How many faculties does every stage consist of? 10. Ten. so that means how many different um, faculties do you have in total? 30. Okay, right, because you have the faculties as they are part of the stage of Nefesh and then there's the stage of Ruach and then there's the stage of Neshama. So it would actually give you how many? 30. But are they
3: 30 different ones? Yes.
0: I'll just illustrate this with the faculty of speech. The speech of a child and the speech of a teenager are not the same thing. There's an aspect of childhood speech that does, there's an aspect of teenage that does not exist in childhood speech, um, I have children. This also exists in adult speech; it does not exist in child speech, which is playful sarcasm. <clears throat> try to be playfully sarcastic with a seven-year-old and see how that goes. It's a regular part of speech, right? It's a technique. It's, an, it's a whole. Yeah, yeah. Right? Try to try to do that with a seven-year-old. Their choices are: they don't get it, or they're just outright insulted because they think you mean it sincerely. Now. So there are ask now, and then we also know that we know plenty of times that adults or teenagers, they use speech in a way that is entirely childlike, right? So even though you can think of speech as one thing, you really can say that there is a kind of speech or different aspects of speech and techniques of speech that are very distinct to different stages of development. Similarly, in these different faculties, the same faculty um, when it works on the level of ruach, is going to function very differently, have different subfaculties than it would on the level of nefesh, and therefore you really can think of them as thirty distinct faculties. Okay. okay. And we ended yesterday by talking about that these ten faculties on every level of development correspond to the supernal ten spheros, which our parentheses so kindly inform us are divine manifestations. Yes.
3: Doesn't that say that each distinction and grade of three has yes. 10 faculties? So yeah. 30 would be a drastic understatement, unless there's
0: only like one distinction or grade of all three. You are correct that you could read it that these three stages can then be divided into further stages, and each, every stage you have is actually has its own set of 10. That is correct. However, when you're learning these things, it's easier to first deal with them. So, just like if you're dealing with the childhood development, it's easier to break it into broad stages. But then you can really subdivide after that.
3: Well, easy. I mean, it depends what your purpose is. Meaning, if you, if if I want to give a person who doesn't know about child development a ten minute overview, it's easier to use broad stages like childhood. Right. But if I want to give someone the knowledge that they need for their children, for their own child's development to improve over the next mm-hmm. year. I probably should use more specific terms than childhood and development.
0: Right. And what if you want to do both? Well, I guess. Then you might want to write it in such a way that. You could read it both ways. Okay. Which is why it's written.
3: Is, isn't this for us to use for yeah. ourselves? Now? It is
0: not written. That is a myth. The Tanya is not written for you. I would like to make sure we're very clear that the Tanya is not written for you. Number one, raise your hand if you read Rabbinic Hebrew fluently. Okay, so that's not written for you because it was written in rabbinic Hebrew. Number two. Okay, number two. Um, Raise your hand if you're familiar, have a basic background in Jewish mysticism, philosophy, and legal writings. Okay, so it's clearly not written for you. Number three. Okay. Um, Yeah. Number three. Raise your hand if you're a man. Because there are sections of Tanya which are very directly addressing issues that only men deal with, so the Tanya was clearly written for a specific kind of person, which was a man who is well educated in the traditional Orthodox things and is actually quite scholarly and knowledgeable. Okay, that's the style in which it's written. So why are
2: we learning
0: it? Well, I didn't say that the subject matter isn't for you. I just said the writing, right? Now, the Altar Rebbe actually has other things. Because that wasn't even written for me. The Altar Rebbe actually writes in the, in, in the, in, in the introduction, which I, we did not read inside, um, although I mentioned it when we first started Tanya however many months ago, that um, if a person, he also is also only written, is written in the style of a person has clarity about their relationship with God. Well, what if you don't have clarity about your relationship with God? Well, you read the Tanya, even if you're a man and even if you're scholarly, and even if you know the Hebrew, rabbinic Hebrew, you're still going to end up doing what? Distorting and misinterpreting what is meant, and so therefore the Alter Rebbe says Tanya should never be handed to a person. The Tanya should be taught by a living person who has mastered it more than you. Unless you're the
3: Rebbe who handed
2: out Tanyas.
0: The Rebbe handed out Tanyas and said people should learn the Tanyas, and then they Rebbe sent out Shluchim to teach people Tanya. Right? They go hand in hand. Right? But the idea of here's a book. You know, I'll see you later. This fact Judaism has a strong aversion to handing out books to people without a oral teaching to go along with it. Okay? So if you're, asking in the style, if you're asking about the writing, and I mean very clearly here the writing of the Tanya, let's be very honest. If you, if you, if, you, know, if you have the Tanya in the original, there's a very small subgroup of the population of Jews that is actually can look at that book and understand exactly what the altar have intended. But can, can I have
2: my question?
0: Just one second. But if you have someone who's using it, the book as a, as a guide to bring out ideas in a specific order and elaborate on, which is how the author intended the book to be used, he actually, actually refers to it as a kind of a, um, uh, he says it, it's supposed to be a remembrance, it's supposed to be something you can refer back to. In that case, then the subject matter applies to everybody. And this is just an important thing about writing. When you write, you write to an imaginary, specific kind of person. Mm -hmm. You have to assume they know certain things and assume they don't know other things. And so your writing is always geared towards a... And there may be a few people like that that actually exist in the world, but many people, that the matter you want to convey to them... So people keep asking me to write. And one of the reasons why I don't like writing is every time I sit down to write something, I have to figure out who am I writing for. And I always come to the conclusion that the only person I was writing for is me. <laughs> then I lose all interest in it. And when I try writing for some other person, I have to figure out like, what do they know what they don't know. Where you deal with a living person, they ask questions, you read their body language. Okay, so the subject applies to everybody. In order to encode multiple levels of meaning, so depending on what level you're dealing with, the algebra writes it in a way that it conveys both things. So there is a broad overview. But then there is also the idea that each of these levels contains everything else and you can really subdivide. And you'll see later on references to things like the nefesh of the nefesh of the nefesh, where you using this idea that you can break down layers into sublayers. layers so, and, um, and in Kabbalah, for some reason, they tend to just use the same limited vocabulary over again, which I'm not going to explain to you why that is. right know there's a reason for it. So while in English, we might say things like um, infancy, toddler, childhood, pre-teen, right, to break these things up. In Kabbalah language, you say the childhood of the childhood versus the teenage years of the childhood versus the adult years of the childhood. But yes, you can get quite that, that quite specific. And in other Hasidic writings, it gets extremely detailed and extremely specific. And the wording that he uses here is meant to cover both levels. You can give it a broad overview and say, broadly speaking, there are, 10 stage, there are three stages with 10 faculties, so a total of 30. And you can then get them very, very specific however specific you particularly need to be for your particular um, relationship with God. Now you can amend your question.
3: Okay. I think you made it stronger. Could be. If It's different than how I was envisioning it, but I think this is even a stronger question. If this is written for very well-educated, for for relatively well-educated people um, who are clear in their relationship with God, Mm -hmm. am I wrong to say that it was also written... Like, it says here to explain clearly how, like, this is exceedingly near to you. But, like, it's written meaning to be helpful Uh in improvement of your whatever whatever it is. I don't want to use wrong words. But to improve something in your life or your relationship with God. So, wouldn't it then be helpful? Like, in the example that I gave, I said if I want to give someone who has no background a brief overview. But you're saying it wasn't written for someone with no background or for a brief overview. Like, if it is written as a guidebook then why doesn't he why be vague about this like shouldn't we be like is he, is he just going to do that later like it seems like for this audience and for this purpose it actually is only beneficial to be more specific
0: so the the reason is because the altar but what he wrote it having already spoken and taught people like i said this was not meant to be your first introduction to these things this is a way of retaining information and also having a core to refer back to as you pass this along so the way the Alter Bent actually intended Tanya was to compile the core teachings that he had actually taught his own disciples so they could refer back to them and always, and also that when they're then teaching those things to other people, they have a curriculum to work off of. But it is not meant mm-hmm. in, the class, in the more modern notion as a self-help book. It is not written like mm-hmm.
2: that. Right,
0: that's what yeah. so, so I'm saying. It is not a self-help book. It is a, it is a, it is a treatise on how to approach being a Jew in a certain way, but in order for it to be applicable, you need an actual teacher.
3: It's like a Mishnah which needs a Gemara?
0: Yeah, and, and, and you know, more actually like a Chumash that needs a Rashi actually. It's much more like that. It's, it's that terse actually. Um, so that, that's why we turn the page so slowly. So I could go, we could turn the page very fast and give like brief overviews. I can give a class where in an hour we cover a chapter and give you like a basic theme. Would oh, you have a heart attack if I do a chapter in an hour? No, I loved it. Right. But, but, on the other hand, what do you get out of that? One core idea, elaborating for an hour, as opposed to all of these little nuances details. Could we, could we spend a year on one chapter and go even greater detail? I, we could. So we're picking a pace, or I'm picking a pace, where I think we're getting the th- maximum threshold of what people can handle. I want to go as slow as I can without completely overwhelming the majority of the class but you could go faster, go slower, and you have to pick it. You know. When you're dealing with one person, then you can really hone in and say, you know, we really should study these three lines of that particular chapter because that would be really helpful for you, right? But since this is a curriculum for a classroom, you do the whole book from the beginning. But you're right, it is not written as a self-help book that the information is gu- is guiding information. It's like a full, it's like if you condensed all of, if you condensed all of medical school into one book mm-hmm. that you could always refer back to, right? That book would be very dense and probably you wouldn't want to just hand it to a person and say, here, learn to be a doctor from this.
3: Well, we do that with, even without going to medical school. We do that with textbooks. Don't, most people don't believe that handing a person a textbook is as effective as enrolling them in a year-long course based on that textbook.
0: Which is what the author had intended to do. Okay. He, and he, In fact, he originally was hesitant to even publish it. He wanted it to be in handwritten manuscript, so you really needed a living teacher. You couldn't just go buy it. It was only due to certain factors that he actually was willing to have it published, and you could go buy it.
2: Maybe then you should also publish what
0: you want. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Fine. So, yes, just to be clear, the Tanya's subject matter is for everybody the style in which it's written is for very, you know, I'll be very clear, the very fact that I understand what's going on because I had teachers. It's not like I opened the book and like, oh, now I know exactly what's going on. That did not happen. Um, and there still is the case that you, I come many times to a particular passage and particular nuance in wording, Like there's clearly something being alluded to by this choice of wording and I don't fully understand why it's there. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Fine. Okay, so today we need to talk about the ten series, which our translator was so nice to tell us in parentheses are the divine manifestations. Okay, so let's first take the word divine. anyone know what the word divine is? From what? From God. From God. Godly. Godly. Those are different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is from God. You know. Yeah. Me, divine means it's somehow part... Relating to it is somehow part of relating to God or you should relate to it as if it's somehow something godlike about it, right? So, for instance, is the Torah scroll divine? Yeah, how do we see that the Torah scroll is divine? Would be in a way that we can see that... Not see the actual divinity, yet, but that we see that people in Judaism treat it as divine? It's not
2: allowed to touch the
0: floor. Yeah, we don't let it fall on the floor. Why? Divine. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So concepts like sacred, holy, divine—they all go together. Okay. That one's easy. What's a manifestation? Well, if you take sacred and you apply it to something, and you make objective statements about something sacred, you've basically that you've basically done what any you know theory of religion would say—you've created a god or defined something as a god. Now. That's already different. That's already different. no. So I'm saying like when I'm saying someone like, says this is sacred to me, but I don't like thinking in any objective sense or something sacred. Or but you know, no, no, there's something sacred. Like like, well, you have like in your whatever metaphysical structure you have for understanding the world, you think there is some kind of a divinity that is relates to that. You know, some cultures think that everything is sacred, right?
1: Right. So, like sacred seems more subjective.
0: Well, that's because we live in a modern world and we, we you know, right? we we tend to make most words in the modern world more subjective because we're more comfortable that way. Then we can all be right. Okay. What's a manifestation? Actually, let me ask a more interesting question. What's not a manifestation? We're
1: saying, what? We're just saying manifestation in the text.
0: Divine manifestations. In parentheses. What is not a what is not a manifestation? Yeah, but like using God to explain stuff is tricky, because as I read yesterday, God gives us the heebie-jeebies. So, let's try. Let's try. What? I was like, did you read it? You did read it. I did read it. Twice. Yes, my wife. I read it once by myself and once with a man. <laughs> um, so let's leave God out of it, because God is God is God is God is messy and you know makes an my head hurt. An essence is not a manifestation. So explain what you mean by that an essence is not a manifestation. What does it mean an essence is not a manifestation? Let's use something um, can I have this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So. This is a pouch. Okay. So I would like you to explain to me using this pouch, what is the difference between the essence of the pouch versus the manifestation of the pouch? You said an essence is not a manifestation. Yes. So.
1: I think that's a manifestation and not an essence.
0: This is a manifestation of a pouch.
1: A manifestation is, to me synonymous,
0: nearly in existence. Very good. So this is a pouch. We can all agree this is a pouch. And as I mentioned yesterday, there is at least one other pouch in existence. What do you know about that other pouch? It's your
1: wife's pouch.
0: It's my wife's pouch. <laughs> and what else? It
3: doesn't, have
0: it doesn't have one of these loopy things. And what else? It's smaller. It's smaller. It's smaller.
2: Very
1: good. Very <laughs> <pressed>. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs>
0: you never know what you'll be tested on. Okay, now, so in as much as something is or isn't a pouch, you know, it's a pouch. But the way this pouch exists, the way it's present, the way it is manifest is different. So this pouch is, you know, it has this loop, it's bigger, it's got this design on it, right? And that is the way it presents itself into reality such that, you know, we can do stuff with it, such as use it as an example in class. Yeah? Okay. Okay. It's an interesting question. Is that its purpose? Okay. So, the manifestation of something is not the thing itself. Okay. The thing itself, what makes the thing itself is, so to speak, one level of its being and its manifestation is another level of its being. So, let's think about personality in human beings. Is personality, would that be more what makes you who you are so more along this lines of your essential being or is that more along the lines of manifestation? manifestation
1: manifestation yes is it manifestation because it's how it is in relation to other people
0: very good All right to really be in essence it has to be what it is in terms of itself which is a very sensitive subject because you now have to kind of create a definition of what is in terms of itself mean and so when you think of a person as a social being, right? Um, so the fact that we need other people and part of our lives, that we could say is essential. But the way we are in relationship to those people varies from person to person, even varies within ourselves and from environment to environment. For instance, as I was reading that wonderful, um, I don't know, what do you call it? Transcript? Script? Something. <laughs> said, Whatever it was. I said
3: it was a literary
0: collage. A literary collage. A literary collage. <laughs> well, that wonderful literary collage, <laughs> what I realized is that And this is not something new, but it's, you know, sometimes you you realize things that you already know, but in a more visceral way. That your personality changes depending on the environment you're in and who you're interacting with. Right? So it would be rather I realize because while this does sound very much like me, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are very close to me, they would not recognize this as me at all. That's not because I'm pretending. I'm acting. No. It's because even something like personality, it's not just that it varies from one individual to another individual. Even an individual person themselves, right? In different circumstances and in relation to different people, personality fluctuates. As time changes, personality changes. Some things remain relatively consistent. But those are only consistent if we like zoom out and look at things statistically. For instance, okay, with certain people, you might be more willing to use humor. Even... A, um, Right, brace of humor, and with other people, right? You're very unwilling to use humor, and so if someone say, "Oh, that person, they're very, they're very, they're a very funny person, a very humorous person, a very sarcastic person," and that really, they're really comfortable in that, right? And another person might say that that's not true about them at all, right? That this person is a very sensitive person, a very cautious person, and is it the case that one of these people is right, one of these people is wrong? Or could both descriptions be valid descriptions of the person, right? Because they're being manifest differently in relation to different people. Yeah?
3: you think about acting, um, what about, so, I don't know, maybe the question's totally far afield, but the Shakespeare thing of like all the, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players, to me, I've all, that has always triggered this kind of view of like, we do act in different ways with different people and in different roles. And then someone recently told us that that might be the paraphrase of something that Shlomo Melakh wrote. I don't know if that. So. Does doesn't sound so, right. I'm just curious if that, like, when you say we're not acting, like, isn't that what personality is? Is the ways that we act.
0: So I wanted to more clear what I meant by acting, okay? Um. When a used car salesman tries. To get you to feel like he's really out for your interests and really cares about you. Right? Is that his personality? No. No. What is that? That's a <laughs> facade. Right? <laughs> right? 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 There's something um, deceptive, depli- de- duplicitous about it, right? Yes. Okay. Now, so as opposed to the fact that you're one way with in certain environments with certain people, another way in others, that's that's you know and especially if you're not that suffering from some of mental disorders that causes real splits those are very integrated parts of yourselves but you're they just come out differently in different situations right those are very different and i think the distinction between those two things is should be probably intuitively clear to most people yeah okay where it gets tricky where it gets tricky is where's the line between trying to work on being a different manifesting yourself differently for a purpose. Right. Okay. That is an interesting question which I'm not, which 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 because this is merely an analogy I don't want to get into, but we can, we, I think we all understand that when you pay an actor a few million dollars to pretend to be a different person for a movie, that's not the same thing as a person trying to um, become, I say, I don't know, a caring grandmother as they have now that responsibility. But yet there is something similar about those processes at the same time. And that's, I think, what creates a lot of that confusion. But if you take the extreme ends, right, that just you're very comfortable actually expressing yourself and manifesting and relating to people in certain ways, and certain things, in other ways, in other ways, versus someone who's putting on a show just to get anything, but there's nothing internal going on. So when I was saying acting, I meant that first thing. The middle stuff is very messy, but for our purposes, we don't need to get into that. Okay. So there's a distinction which is made, which is made between... Who someone is unto themselves versus how they present relative to others. And, of course, what self and other means, we can have various levels of analysis depending on how deep we want to go. Right? That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. And we can then take a similar thing about even objects. We can say, okay, there's something about pouches that makes them pouches, and that's more of its essential being. It's not that. Deep, like a person and then there's how that's manifest in terms of things like color, texture, size, shape, etc. Okay? Okay. So then what are we saying about God if he has manifestations? What distinction are we making about God? Because these are divine manifestations.
3: And we've spoken about this with you before.
0: You have. So you should be really comfortable in answering these questions.
1: That God cool. treats different people differently?
0: Okay. That God has ten. So, before we get to ten, let's just talk about manifestations. Well, if we say that there are divine manifestations, what does that mean? How many layers are there to divinity? How many levels are There's there the to divinity? To There's two. There's the essence and how he's manifest. What is God unto himself versus how does he present in relation to, to others?
2: And you're
0: talking about like God, God? One second. All I'm doing is what it says here right now. Okay, now... So, God is the great duality. Do you know what duality means? What does duality mean? Two. Like, uno, dos, tres, two. Yeah, okay. What?
1: Well, you said it was and then you went to three instead
0: of two. It was all great. Okay. Okay. I don't speak any languages that are spoken in Europe other than English, so. Spain
2: isn't Europe?
0: I don't speak that language. I happen to a few yes, words. Did. But it's not speaking a language. I also know how to count to three in Japanese. It doesn't mean I speak Japanese. I understand Yiddish. I don't speak it well. Okay. Um, I barely speak Hebrew, actually. I sound, like, I sound like an American when I speak Hebrew. And, and I use rabbinic Hebrew instead of modern Hebrew all the time in casual <laughs> conversations. Not, <sure. laughs> not biblically, but rabbinic Hebrew. Um, the okay, so duality means that there's two, two things, a pair. Yeah. If there's divine manifestations that's being contrasted against the divine essence, that means how many parts to there to the divine? Two. And um, last time I checked in Judaism, we believe that God has how many aspects, parts, levels? One. God, one. one or none, depending on exactly how you, know, you want to play the semantics there. So that's a bit of a problem, right? Yeah. If there's God versus how he's manifest, then that would mean there's two levels to God, and then God isn't really the one. So we have a problem here. Yes?
3: Doesn't that come back to my question of like, is God, like, we're not, it's not acting or putting on a cloak. It's like, a person isn't, there aren't two people when they're one way alone and one way with somebody else. It's just.
0: That is true. But God is not a person. Okay, so you can't apply that logic. You can't
3: say God is allowed to have both essence and manifestation. Because
0: because what you're doing is what you're doing there is you are saying that we as a a degree of oneness that we're satisfied with a person meets right. Um, Mm -hmm. The Rambam in his code of in his code of Jewish law, where he outlines the mitzvah to unify God, he's quite clear that any conceptual distinction you can draw in God is a violation of this principle. Yes?
1: But so, is God's manifestation really his fault, per se? Because like, if I see something red and someone who's colorblind sees it green, that that item doesn't necessarily have both, like, red and green. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how light works and all that, but, like, it's their fault that they can't Right, see the
0: red. right. So there is a classic way out of this problem, which is simply say, is that, no, there's God. And then there's what, what, and then there's the created reality, and then we use the created reality to infer things about God, and that creates a very fractured view of God. So we look, we see sometimes, you know, there's, you know, horrible things happening, oh, so God has anger, or God has judgment, and then sometimes we see wonderful things, oh, God has kindness and compassion, but that is in fact a, a fault of our own minds that we can't understand how the same thing Essence causes all of these things, and so it's not really that God has two layers: His being and His manifestation. His essence and manifestation. It's that there's God, and then the reality He creates. And when you try and infer from God, infer about God from reality, you ended up with this kind of fractured picture. That is a simple way out of this problem. Okay. That's clearly not what the Alter Rebbe means in Tanya, because he says that our ten God-like faculties are corresponding to His ten-like manifestations. And the causality would have to work that first he has, and they're godlike, and then we have. Okay. So, and in fact, this is one of the key differences between what is known as Kabbalah versus um, schools of thought that don't incorporate Kabbalah. And Kabbalah is saying, no, it is not just a feature of the mind. So I, as a person, I look and I see people suffering say, oh, God's wrath. I look at people and I, they're, 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 they're prospering and say, oh, God's benevolence. And I say, okay, well, God isn't made up of these two things, so there's God and then there's these aspects of God. And the philosophers will say, well, actually, no, that's just your mind, really, God is just God, and you can't understand that. And the, these, but in Kabbalah, no, we're saying that there's actual manifestations of God, okay?
1: Is this the same discussion as saying God and his wisdom are one?
0: It is a similar discussion, but it is not going to be the same discussion. So, the way this works is like this. We need analogies. The reason why we need analogies is because it's very hard to talk about things that we don't know what they are. So we talk about things that we do know what they are and then use that. Right? Now, the analogy we're going to use is your soul. And by soul, I don't mean your godly soul. I don't mean your animal soul. I just mean the fact that you are not a lump of flesh and bone. There's some vitality, thriving, flourishing, desire, will, volition, awareness, consciousness, you know, that whole package deal. Nice. Okay, that. Now, does a soul have a presence in the physical world? Is it manifest in the physical world? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes? Yes. Where, 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 can you give me an example? How
1: does it manifest in the physical world? hmm The fact that I happening physical world
0: is because of the fact that i soul and I can clearly change second, the around me. One second. One second. One second. One second. One second. One second. We wanted. We want to different, So the, uh, this pencil is manifest in the physical world. Okay. Um. For instance, I can see it. That is a map, That isn't manifest, right? Um. It has color. It has shape, right? I can feel it, right? Right, it has properties that that give it, a, you know, present it out into reality. Right, so if your soul is manifesting the physical, world your soul should be in a particular place at a particular time. It has a certain size, a certain shape. Right, it makes noise. What
3: is sound manifest? Yes. Because it has properties. Mm-hmm. What about gravity?
0: Let's not talk about gravity. I'm too tempted to talk about gravity. It's not nice to throw that to me. It's like me talking about your mother.
2: But actually, like, people are <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's different words under that if you don't.
1: Know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, if,
0: you have to listen to all the classes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but if, like, if you would tell me that you, because, I don't, sorry, I don't know your name. I think what DeVorella is saying is that we observe the effects of some things without observing their properties. And so if you would say that you consider gravity to be manifest, then I would say we only observe effects of gravity. Okay. So we can talk about the soul as being like gravity in that way.
0: Okay. I'm, I'll accept what you're saying and completely ignore the fact that you used the word gravity. <laughs> Does everyone agree with that? That if something has, an if I if I can, if I if if I I can experience the effects, that is itself a form of manifestation. Yeah. I don't really understand what that means. So, I'm gonna use a simpler example, which is less contentious. Okay, Through gravity. Okay. If.
1: Microwaves.
0: No, I'm gonna use a baseball. If I throw a baseball at the window. Yes. Why did the baseball move to the window? it. Okay, but I stopped touching the baseball a long time ago and it kept moving. Why did it keep moving? I put some force into it. What is force? Have you seen force? No, no, no I don't know. No, 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 that's not This is not a physics question. You call it whatever you want, okay? I'm really, you want to call it force, power, energy. I don't care what you want. You want to call it, I don't care what you want to call it. But you're saying I, I imparted something to it.
1: Yes.
0: Have you seen that something? You can't really see it. Can you hear it?
1: sometimes, but not really.
0: Really, you can hear it?
1: Sometimes when you play something, you hear it like going through the wind. I
0: don't know. You hear the baseball going through the wind. Do you hear the, the thing I put? The thing that used to be part of my hand is now in the baseball. Do you, do you hear that?
2: No. Can you taste it? No. Can you smell know.
0: it? No. no. How do you know it's there? You saw it. You just told me you didn't see it. It doesn't look like anything. You
2: saw the, you
0: saw you the effect, know. right? So that's the point she's making is that, that is? is that there's two kinds of manifestation. You, some, you, something can manifest by having an effect on something else. But so you
2: see the result
0: of it? Right, you see the result of it. And then there's some things where the thing itself is manifest. Okay,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's already good. We're drawing two levels of manifestation. That's important. It's actually very important. Yeah? So. What was that? I think it was your hand. You think it was my hand. Why do you think it was my hand? But don't know it was my hand.
1: Could have been
2: your
0: knee. Right. Because the, there was the effect of something. So that's a kind of manifestation, but because it's not you don't you didn't see the thing itself being manifest. So there's a very big difference between seeing my hand yeah. where the where the hand itself is being manifest, where it being manifest through its effect on something else. Okay. So now going back to the soul. Is the soul manifest in the physical world? So One argument is to say, well, if the soul has an effect on the physical world, that's a kind of manifestation in the physical world, yeah? Mm -hmm. (coughs) Can I accept that? But does the soul have a manifestation that's a little more direct than that?
1: What? So, when we say the physical world, are we depending on the idea that we, like, on our human perception, our human reasoning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, the fact that there's, like, distinctions of souls, does that indicate
0: No, because now we have to read stuff in books. That doesn't count.
1: Because we talked about senses, like, we have, like, the basic senses, sight, touch, hearing, kiss, and so on. But then, there is, like, we talked about sense of self and sense of...
0: Yeah, I I don't want to get that deep. Okay. I don't get that deep. What if... Because that, that's, that's, manif- that's the soul being manifest to itself. That's a different ideal, too. That's why I don't want to get into that. What, what, what about this? Um, is it correct to say that a person and their body have a stronger relationship than the person in any other part of the physical world? Would that be fair to say? Mm-hmm. Right, that this particular lump of stuff is somehow more connected to me than this lump of stuff? Yes. Okay. That's pretty, I think, yeah, okay. But now if we want to get more specific, well, what is different between this lump of stuff and that lump of stuff? You control it. I control it. Well, watch this. Watch this. Uh-oh, okay. Take it oh out, Jenna. <laughs> See, I can control that too. So but what's the difference?
1: But you have I to, to consciously your hand.
0: Your do hand. I also have to consciously do this. But you don't
1: have to consciously beat your heart but I
0: didn't ask about my heart. You notice? I asked about my hand. your hand And my hand doesn't move unless I move it, unless something's wrong with it.:
1: anything? Well not anything. But in order to move
0: the table, to move your hand.: Ah, that's the issue. That's the issue. This being of will and desire and that soul thing, what inter- what medium does it need in order to get the hand to move?
1: body.
0: What does my soul need in order to move my hand? A
1: brain. desire.
0: Well, the brain is just part of the body. So, but the soul part of, what other third thing do I need?
2: Will.
0: Well, will is just part of the soul. Sorry,
2: what were the first two? I have my soul. Consciousness?
0: If I am, a, you're, just, you're just, you're subdividing instead of giving it. I have my soul. And my soul is all the non-physical stuff of me, right? My desires, my will, my conscience. I have all that. That's all perfectly functioning. I have a body. And that's also perfectly functioning. What else do I need now to move my hand?
2: Energy.
0: Intention is part of my soul, and, my, and the energy is part of my...
3: Body. Manifestation. Context. Like a bridge. I don't need
0: anything. I don't need anything. Like if I want to move my hand, You
3: just
2: do
0: it. And I, that's it. If I, have a, if I have a fully functional soul and I have a fully functional body, what else do I need? Nothing. Nothing. On the other hand, if I have a fully functional soul and a fully functional body and a fully functional, a fully functional cup, how does my soul get the cup to do anything?
3: Body. Fully functioning
0: body. Through the fully functioning body. So my soul does not have any direct contact with. The cup.
2: The
0: cup. It needs the body to serve as a bridge. Is this
2: completely
0: true? Assuming everything is healthy.
2: Or if it's not.
0: Then it's not. That's why some people can't move certain limbs. Right? Or some people's limbs would work, but they can't seem to emotionally, psychologically get their limbs to do stuff. And we're just gonna chalk that up to something is going wrong in the soul or something's going wrong in the body. Right? But if my everything's right in my soul and everything's right in my body, and my soul decides to move the cup, then what's gonna happen?
2: The
0: cup nothing. No, nothing will happen.
2: Oh you're
0: just the body matters. The body, the hand will move the cup.
2: So the body matters.
0: That's right. So now we have to say like this. There's sometimes where something itself is directly manifest. So let's think about it like this. Like this cup, it's directly manifest. You see the cup, the cup, it's there. This is the cup. This is the pencil. This is the pouch, right? Then there's things that are manifest by their effects, right? So um, clearly someone made this cup, right? So the existence of the cup in some way is a manifestation of the maker of the cup because something made the cup. Right. You see, you're it from its effect. But then you have this middle ground where it's like the way the body works. The body is not the effect of the soul. right? It's the way the soul. The what? What does the body do? It kind of
3: shows the soul,
1: but in a manifested way.
0: Well, I mean, use another word for manifested, but you're right. It shows the soul in a... It
1: filters it.
0: It filters it, it in a concealed, in a, Present. right? It gives it, right? The soul is not a physical thing, but the body kind of makes the soul as if it was. And so with the body, I can, I can interact with the physical world without the body. I can. With the body, you can see me. With the body, you can hear me. With the body, you can know that I know stuff. So the body kind of serves as a, as a window and a and a and a and a, um, a bridge between the soul and the rest of the physical world, and it's not just that; it's very intimately connected, right? When something happens to my body, what do I what feel What does it feel like? It feels like it's happening to my soul, right? So there's this idea that these things kind of one thing is almost inhabiting another, yeah.
1: Um, like okay, I don't want to get like too sciencey or too far off. Games
0: or whatever, certain things that you can move with like your brain or like waves. Brain yeah. So the and way that, so it's the You're same, same, the same count. It's the, so th- as that, that as sounds as very as fancy, as it sounds very fancy, but sometimes if you break things down to the core, core components, components you realize it's, it's not so fancy. Basically what that means is like this.
3: Okay?
2: Let
0: me explain to you. We all understand, right, that if I decide to pick up the cup, some physical process happens in my body, I pick up the cup. Okay, now, we also understand, right, um, that if I decide to um, clench my teeth, right, that's also something like physical happens, right, and that can make some sounds and some. You can hear it very slightly, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and so you can like someone could or like if I, like, someone be clenching their teeth, and if you're sitting next to them and you can hear the little small grinding of the teeth, it really that could be annoying. Okay, so. And we also understand that whenever you decide to do something, that those physical processes don't start in the hand. Those physical processes start where? In the, in the brain. In the brain. Yeah. Right? And for those of us who know anything about physics know that anytime you have electricity, right? You have waves and fields that radiate outside. Yeah. And therefore anything that you can now in theory Correlate any phys- other physical thing to a particular electromagnetic wave and get stuff to happen And when a person starts to realize, oh do this and it's, it's not okay. And the technology is quite sophisticated But yeah. the concept is actually yeah. rather banal okay. yeah.
2: it's, it's,
0: it's, true. Yeah. it's not like It's not, the, it's not the, the spiritual soul is having some effect on the world No, it's your, it's, it's the literal, just electromagnetic energy of your brain yeah, Is being picked up insane. by something
3: Is there a duality to their relationship, the body and the soul? There
0: is. There is. But here's the important thing. And this is where we get to the important principle in Judaism. Is that what happens when a person dies? Your soul and body. Which means we really can't think of the soul and the body as being yeah. one thing. It's really more one thing inhabiting
2: another.
0: another. A
3: parasite.
2: <laughs> no.
0: <laughs>
3: Symbiotic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not It's also not symbiotic. No? No.
3: no.
0: no. no. The, way you, the way you evaluate parasites and symbiotes is you have to, in symbiotic relationships, you have to look at each thing independently and then see the effect they have on each other. So, if you take the soul out of the body and then you leave the body to its own devices, what does the body end up as? Yeah.
2: Nothing.
0: Corpus. No, not nothing. A corpus. No. That's temporary. Dirt.
2: Yeah. Ends up as dirt. Ground.
0: Yeah, it ends up as a ground. So now, in what way does the ground benefit by having a soul put into part of it? It doesn't, right? Because the ground doesn't really care, right? The
1: plants maybe
0: are excited. <laughs> but I'm talking about the plants, right? So, no one looked at that little picture lump of dirt. You, said, you know what's really not fair? That lump of dirt is not have a soul in it. And also, no one ever said about that lump of dirt. You know what's not really fair about the lump of dirt? It got a soul forced into it against its will. Or you know what? Like, it's, it's, just, it's an entirely one sided thing. The soul might care or not care whether it has a body, the body being dirt doesn't care one way or the other. It's like not a, it's not a, you can't think about a parasitic or symbiotic or any kind of relationship. It's not anything. It's not really a relationship. Yeah. It's like most of us have the sense that it's not really, there's no, you can't really speak about my relationship with the pencil as parasitic or symbiotic or like, because like, it's all one side. It's my, it's me vis vis the pencil. There's no pencil back to me. Like, because the pencil is, in, is, is, is essentially indifferent because it's an inanimate Object, it's a pencil. Okay, so yes,
3: so there are relationships where animals do feed off of one and doesn't get anything in return. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of like the soul with the body.
0: But the, I mean, body, the body, but the body is, like the is the not body capable is, of getting anything, but
1: the body doesn't need anything other than the soul, it
0: doesn't need anything, it doesn't need the soul either because the yeah. body is just a lump of dirt.
1: Yeah, but
3: I'm just saying, like the soul. So it uses the no, no, no.
0: See, the thing is like this. Bodies are pieces of dirt. Okay. You want me to go show you a body? I will bring you a body if you want.
2: I'm going to go, gonna the go the
0: get a body. body. Okay. Okay. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to go get a body. So this is a <laughs> you know Oh, he's going to go get a handful of dirt. Yeah, incredible. Jenna,
1: what do you think? He was going to go get an actual, an actual body? body? <laughs> I was like very concerned. <laughs> I
2: mean, no, I know. Know. Oh, I get you know, it now. Oh, he's putting it in a cup.
0: I was
3: like, but <laughs> uh, no, not the first
0: one. I was like, but not the first Ignore the leaves. Okay. Is it the
1: first one or the tea. second
0: one? Okay. Right. okay, this is a body. <laughs> <laughs> Sticks sticks I know, ignore the, ignore, ignore the, ignore the,
1: this is, this <laughs> is a body, now, here's the, thing, here's the thing,
0: here's the thing, here's the
2: thing, if
0: you somehow get a soul into this, this is dirt, if you somehow get a soul into it, it'll look very different, when you get the soul out of it, eventually it comes back to looking like this, so if you want to know what the body itself actually is, it is just dirt, now, that's Right, so the thing is, that's what I'm saying, is, is we tend to think of the body already under the influence of the soul. So when you think of this, you know, arms, legs, hands, bones, blood vessels, all that stuff. What? A
2: bug?
0: What that is, is the, what that is, is the soul has already, there's a bug in there.
1: Okay. You were holding a bug. What? Where is it? So
0: that's right, so really what you have is you have a soul and you have dirt. If it's the silly, soul manages manage. to inhabit some there dirt, that dirt looks really different and acts really different and does a few things. Number one, for some strange reason, that soul is responsive, that, that dirt is responsive to the soul. Right? I decided that my fingers should snap and they just magically snap. Right? As opposed to this bunch of stuff, it's not magically responsive to me. Right? And if you touch this, now, I don't feel like something's happened to me, but if you touch this, it feels like something's happened to me. So something weird happens with a particular amount of dirt that somehow that particular amount of dirt becomes responsive to the soul, reshapes to present the soul in a certain way. Soul, and when things... soul
3: come after it's reshaped? Like the soul comes after the body is formed? It's not like you have know, the dirt and you put a soul in it and then all of a sudden the dirt like... Re-poses. Well,
0: I mean, so here's how it works. God took a bunch of dirt. And he piled it, to, he mixed it with water to be fair. It was more like muddy, but it was mainly dirt.
1: We're talking like 5,000 years ago?
0: Yes. And then he, um, <laughs> he like carved a little shape and said it should be like, you know, has like a ball at the top and like two little things coming out like that, and then, and then, and then, but it was just a bunch of dirt. And then what did he do?
2: He put, a, he put a
0: soul into it, and then something really weird happened. There was a person. Right, and all of a sudden, that. Dirt was very different. Now, then, for some strange reason, God also made it that that, that dirt, as long as the soul inhabits it, can make more the versions of it, right? And so that's why every human body is actually just dirt. Right? And think how the way this works is like this, for those of you who are really into this. Basically, there's things called plants and animals. And they consume dirt. And then, and then we consume them, and then we turn, dirt. using procreation, some of that, some of our dirt into someone else's dirt, that's called conception, right? and gestation and birth, and then we give them more dirt in the form of plants and animals, and then the, the amount of dirt they have gets bigger, which is why you know my youngest is only has this much dirt, and my <laughs> oldest has this much dirt, and I'm that much dirt, right? And then eventually the soul leaves us that certain section of dirt completely. And then eventually that dirt just looks back to being dirt. So the dirt is just dirt. But what's weird is, as for some reason, is that during this time, the soul, quote, inhabiting this piece of dirt, is that dirt has three very distinct characteristics. Number one, it responds automatically to the soul. So again, I can just decide and my fingers snap. Number two, if you do something to the dirt, the soul experiences as if it's happening to itself, right? If you step on my toe, which you should not do for many reasons, but if you do, who will feel the pain? My soul will. And finally, the dirt is quite sophisticated in how it functions on a physical level in order to allow the soul to get all things done. So we have organs and and blood vessels and um, nerves and all kinds of stuff, which is really just made of the same stuff the dirt is. (laughs) What yes. A, what about a stillborn baby? Why does it just turn to dirt? It does. It just takes time.
1: So based, so the time it takes to decompose is, based, is when it turns to
0: dirt? Right. Okay. And actually, I, mean, I don't want to get too disturbing about this, but the preserving a body traps a certain amount of the soul in the body. In other words, the soul doesn't actually leave the body upon death. Oh. The connection has been severed beyond a certain threshold, but it's not fully left. As long and the, the the process of it leaving happens as the body decomposes. So if you prevent the body from decomposing, you're somewhat trapping the soul there, which is why in Judaism we are very big about not preserving people's bodies. Oh, what about it's, like a it's a separate issue. issue. Yes. So what about people who? Oh no!
2: I'm
1: so sorry. Okay. Who needs
0: the other one more? The body or the soul? Clearly the soul. But dirt doesn't, you know, like, does that dirt really feel any bad? Clearly that the soul who? The
1: body does, needs the soul, or the soul soul
0: needs the body? Needs the body. The body. <laughs> yeah. Like, what does the body, the body's just a bunch of dirt. Like, look at the dirt. Do you think the dirt is bothered by the fact that there's no soul inhabiting it?
1: But does the soul, but the soul could exist totally happily. it?
0: In- That's true. The soul could exist, but can it manifest in the physical world? Totally
1: not.
0: So, and if it wants to manifest in the physical world, it really needs that dirt. <laughs> yes like you know those people that are in the hospital and their heart stops for a,
1: a for, mm-hmm. for a few seconds and then you like restart
0: it what about them, like at what point So it's funny you asked that question yeah. funny in my terms of funny not like haha kind of funny <laughs> um, so yeah. there's a thing in Judaism which is you're not allowed to kill people um unless you're the government or like <laughs> you know they're a murderer or a potential murderer or something but it's generally not allowed to kill people yeah. <laughs> so and one of the things is that you're not allowed to murder somebody to save someone else's life, as a general rule. Are you allowed to kill someone to save their own life?
1: What if they're already dead?
0: That's I'm asking. An Are you allowed to kill them to save their own life? The answer is no. Why not? Because in Judaism, murder is prohibited. You can't kill someone to save another life.
1: Is that murder? Is that what? Murder?
0: Well, if you're killing them, well, then you kill is, them.
1: What if when your heart, heart stops? Ah,
0: this is the issue. So according to Jewish law, if when the heart stops, the person is halakhically considered to be dead, um, then this was a reason why many early halakhic authorities prohibited heart transplants. Because to, ha- tran- to a heart transplant, what do you have to do? And then what did you just do? You killed the person and... You're not allowed to murder a person even to save a life, even if it's their own life. Okay? Why, in fact, do we allow heart transplants, at least on that end of the equation? I'm not getting into the other issues about heart transplants, which is where you get the heart from. No, the reason is because, because the very fact, there's a basic principle, which is that, that if, you, if you continue living afterwards, that retroactively means you were never dead unless a resurrection of the dead happens. And so if, and this was, this was the argument that all the, the, the rabbinic establishments found convincing, which is that if after the heart transplant, the person continues living, and we're not saying this is a resurrection of the dead miracle kind of thing, then what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That the heart stopping temporarily is not death. There's some period of time of which the heart is stopped and there's, there's no possibility of recovery, that's called death. Okay, so, the an- so the answer to your question is, is that, is that, the, that if you continue living, then you are never really dead. <laughs> unless, you're, unless, the re- unless, you're, unless it's a case of actual resurrection. Which is like a miraculous kind of a thing.
3: Yeah. Um, there, I think that there are some things that the body does, that, oh, the, like this dirt only does when inhabited by a soul, mm-hmm. but I, it's not immediately apparent to me how it affects how the soul needs it at all. So like, things like um for babies if you like touch their foot and their toes curl or like um I don't know goosebumps or hiccups or whatever so like regular dirt doesn't do that but that also doesn't seem like the body fulfilling like this is the body fulfilling the soul so but so, teasing doesn't seem like that
0: so um my father had this analogy growing up, which is that a foolish question, an example of a foolish question is when you don't know anything about aviation and you walk into a cockpit of an airliner and you look at one particular button, you say, what does that button do? <laughs> because, like, I mean, if you don't even know the basic things about aviation, you have no context for getting an answer to that, right? Okay, so, the fact that I can look at a particular thing that the dirt does only when inhabited by a like, I don't understand what that does. Right. Mm-hmm. Presupposes like I have everything else figured out about it. But as we're always learning, right? As we study the body more and more, it turns out that things are much more complicated, right? Mm-hmm. So it turns out, like, cutting out certain parts of your brain may not be the best idea in the world. Even though people used to think that that would be, like, a great treatment for all sorts of things, mm-hmm. right? And so as, and, and, and as we know more and more about how things work, we start to see that things are much more interconnected and interdependent. And so sometimes mm-hmm. something might be a byproduct of an actually very important other facet.
3: But if it's, so if it's just a byproduct, meaning... There's, meaning there's, there's meaning, meaning like mean. that
0: given the way the natural world physically works, if you want feature A, you have to come along with feature B, even though feature B is not so great. I'll give you an example of this. I'll give you an example of this. Um, one of the nice things about um, digestive systems is that they absorb nutrients.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? That's great. What's a byproduct of absorbing nutrients? Waste. Waste. That you have stuff that's nutrient-free, which sounds good if you think like fat-free, you know, bestest-free. But nutrient-free is actually disgusting. And so now your body has to deal with the fact that it produces nutrient-free gunk, right? That's a byproduct of being able to absorb nutrients. So absorbing nutrients, great. Having nutrient-free gunk and having to deal with it, not so great. And then as you get more sophisticated, right, you start to realize that things are much more, yeah. And so, if you start dealing with like visual process systems or nervous systems things, it could be. And I'm not a, I a I'm not a biologist, and b biologists themselves don't know everything about how the body works. Sure. But as you go deeper and deeper to how the body gets all things in order to really inha- manifest the soul and let it really function in the world, there's a lot of byproducts that the body has. And in fact, the Rambam says that really life's main struggle is how he puts it. Is basically between what aspects of the body are intrinsically important to manifesting the soul, and what are just the unfortunate byproducts. And if you can keep that clear, and maximize the former while minimizing the latter, you're good. And if you do the reverse, then you are bad. That so basically all of life's problems boil down to that. So, but yeah, like, why do people hiccup? I don't know. But I'm sure if we understood everything about the body, we would understand either what the value of hiccuping is or how it's a necessary byproduct of some other valuable aspect of the body. Yes?
1: That question, why do we hiccup, actually maybe me want to become a biologist. But anyways, what about um, like processes not like that, not like hiccuping, but like cell division that are like broad across all dirt? Not that dirt. There's, a, there's an Yeah, but I was referring
0: to just the dirt part okay. of the dirt. Um, and sense. it's hard to get pure dirt
1: okay so but like let's say like chemistry of carbon like that is existing in our body and it's it's very much manifest in our body mm-hmm. but are we saying that it's directly helping our soul manifest because mm-hmm. it is in some in, in some
0: yes but I don't want to go that deep because that takes us too far away from the fact that we're trying to and and understand God's manifestation so you, you are correct but that's, that's too tangential Yes.
3: I feel like we have not like the ways but like the hiccuping and the uh, goosebumps and things like that. They they're all necessary. Like, for instance goosebumps are to stick your hairs up to bring heat no to yeah, to bring heat closer to you. Like each thing has a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. So if you understand what that purpose is, you understand
2: why do it, and then you understand that this is actually
1: for the soul. Right. Yep. Okay,
0: that is it. Okay. <laughs> I like it when people agree with me. Okay. So now here's the thing: the body is made of the body is just dirt. The soul is something else, and somehow the soul inhabits the body. Okay. So God doesn't have manifestations in the sense of different parts. God has these things that he inhabits. And in as much he as he's inhabiting them, they could be viewed as His, the way he manifests. So your soul is not made of your eyes, your ears, your hands, your tongue, right? But your soul inhabits those things. And it inhabits those things, again, three things. They respond to your soul without any in- medium in between. If something happens to them, it's like it's happening to your soul and they are designed and function in such a way to allow the soul to accomplish the things it wants to accomplish. So speaking, seeing, you know, moving. So what are these manifestations of God? These are not aspects of God or parts of God. These are things that he created for himself and inhabits and in a way that's similar to way a soul inhabits a body. So, are the spheres part of God? Are are they part of God? No. No.
2: No.
0: Is your hand part of your soul? No. 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 But
2: He's part of them?
0: Is your soul in your hand? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's evidenced by A, your hand looks different than a normal piece of dirt. B, when you decide to move your hand, it all just moves on its own. And C, when something happens to your hand, it feels like it's happening to... Right? But at the end of the day, the hand is just a piece of dirt. And the soul is not. It's something else, which is why the soul continues to live eternally, and the dirt eventually just goes back to being dirt.
1: Is there, is, are pain reflexes not also dirt, though?
0: The nerves that carry the information are dirt. The experience, the subjective experience of pain is the soul.
1: But, so animals can experience pain.
0: And they have a kind of a soul. They do have a kind of a soul. Yes. But I'm not going to talk about them because there's enough differences between the way their soul's bodies relate that the human is the better analogy, which is why when God created um, hum, human beings, he said, I'm going to create human beings in my image. And one of the explanations, just like human beings have a soul... Which transcends the body, right? Animals' souls—they don't really live on after their bodies. Reasons I don't want to get into, but our souls really do. So we inhabit our bodies, but we are not our bodies. So when we speak about God's manifestations, we don't mean a manifestation in the terms of a mere effect. We also don't mean manifesting in the way that we say that this is manifest through its color and shape, where the manifestation is part of the thing itself. We mean this in-between category where something is manifest by inhabiting something else. Souls inhabit bodies. God inhabits these things. And the technical term for them is a sphera. Do you know what the translation of a sphera is? There isn't
1: one.
0: There isn't one. It's a technical term. <laughs> but what a sphera is, is like a a sphera to God is like a body to a soul. You have head and arms and tongue and nose and mouth. Those are not your soul, but your soul inhabits them. You see through your eyes you hear with your ears, you move things with your hands. If something touches any of those, it feels like it's happening to you. And those things are very different and much more sophisticated and rich than just ordinary dirt, but yet they are not the soul itself. So in a similar, although not identical sense, there are these things called spheres that God has created for himself and then he inhabits them. And in his inhabiting them, he becomes manifest. But he is not made of those things. Yeah.
1: Why does your soul attribute so much importance to the physical body if it has
2: no intrinsic connection
0: to the soul? <sighs> so that would be like saying, like this: I have an intrinsic connection to my father. Why, well, if we don't have the soul doesn't have such intrinsic connection to the body? Why do we care so much about the body? Jesus. I have no intrinsic. I have an intrinsic connection to my father in the sense that. Um, my being me is, a, is you know, bound up with my, my father. So I have intrinsic connection with my mother. Via that, I also have intrinsic connection with my siblings. Yeah? What about my spouse, my wife? Do you have an intrinsic connection? No.: of your
3: philosophy.:
0: Well let's just talk about like, regular real life in an observable way.: No. no. And by the way, even according to Judaism, also no. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's so sad. Okay.
1: okay. By the way, that's
0: not entirely true. Do you know why it's not entirely true? I do actually have an intrinsic connection with my wife.
2: Because you have children. Because we
0: have children. Right. But that's, but absent that, I don't have an intrinsic connection. Now, does that mean, is what? Is what, what? No, it's a myth. It's a, it's a nice myth, but it's a myth. I don't get
1: that.
0: What? So, the thing is like this. What? In other words, in other words. Intrinsic means that it's it, 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 intrinsic means that it, 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 it's built in and you can't do and you can't it's, it's you can't do anything to change it around to something else. So because
2: you have kids you have an intrinsic connection yeah. With someone? Yeah. Uh, Why? Well because the, this
0: because this person is my son and this is the mother of my son and like there's nothing you can do to change that fact.
2: That connect, like,
0: okay, the bridge right, right, which is which is not often how people think. Now the, does that mean this is the point I want to get to. What? <laughs> That is actually an interesting discussion. So in Jewish law, that actually changes things. That actually changes things in Jewish law. If the child dies, it does for many halachic aspects actually change the nature of the connection. So,
1: just
0: let's not go there. <laughs> that's just dis- usually I ask the disturbing questions. Um, <laughs> I'm
2: moving in. Yeah. but there's
0: a there's no there's there's a, there's a halacha in Jewish in, in Jewish law about the daughter of a kohen has the status in many things of a kohen. But if she marries a non-Kohen, she loses that status. It's, it's
2: uh-huh. right. My
0: wife actually is the daughter of a Kohen, so she's lost that status for most things. There's one, Ruff. anyway. So, actually two things, there, it's still relevant. But the thing is, what happens if a marriage ends? Does she go back to her original status? Does
2: she have
0: kids? The answer is, does she have, does she have living descendants with that? Does she have kids or grandkids from her non-Kohen husband? Grandkids count? All the way down.
1: I'll forever. forever.
0: Right. Because of this idea, yeah. So, so there are areas where, where the death would make a difference or not. My point is, at the end of the day, is that means gonna say, "Well, you know what?" I come over and my wife and say, "You know what?" After discussing in class, I realize that we have no intrinsic connection because theoretically, divorced and married to other people, so therefore, our relationship is irrelevant, and I don't care. Right? Is that there's one follow from the next? No, 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 Clearly not, right? So the fact that <laughs> a connection can be very important and very deep and very profound, just not be an intrinsic connection. Which is actually one of the reasons why Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, compares the relationship of the Jewish people to a romantic relationship to emphasize the ways in which a non-intrinsic connection has elements that are superior to an intrinsic connection. Right? He doesn't write a whole poem about how God's our father and we're his children. He writes a whole poem about how God is our husband and we're his wife. Right? And there's a deep downside to that. It's not intrinsic, but there's a lot of things that happen in non-intrinsic relationships. There's a level of depth and a level of... Of of um, choice and volition and complexity, so it doesn't mean it's not important. And similarly, the soul and the body, right? It's not an intrinsic connection. The soul lives around before the body. The soul is around after the body. And in fact, the body keeps getting replaced. You keep, you know, putting new dirt in, getting rid of old dirt. But in as much as this dirt bears some, has some kind of relationship with the body, that there's significance to it, which is why we treat the body both. While you're alive, and even after alive, as long as you maintain some semblance or even is identified by the burial place. Even the dirt where a person was buried, even after it's decomposed, but the fact you identified, this is the, this, the dirt here used to be part of this person, that itself gives it a kind of a significance. So I know
1: yeah. that once somebody has passed away and they are buried, like a Jew is buried outside of the like, house, and you can move them back to is there any time limit because they do become part of the earth or do you have to
0: we have to ask Rabbi Breitowitz it's an extremely complicated area of halacha of which I know zero okay. yes
1: so it sounded like you were saying
3: God manifests in the sphero but that makes it sound like there are things that actually exist and I thought previously you had made it you had said that it's more that God shines through the spheroid as a lens so is it really by the sphero that creations
1: exist not that Mm-hmm. spheroth themselves exist well <laughs>
0: well so here's the thing someone asked me a question is this going to be the same thing as God and his wisdom are one and I said not and now you're asking well isn't the explanation you used last time we explained spirits and the concept of God and his wisdom are one different than the explanation you're using now and the answer is I told you this would be similar but not The same. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason is because we were using previously spheros to understand the idea of God having a defined essence. And now we're talking about spheros in the context of God having manifestation. And so the understanding of spheros changes. And does that really mess with your mind?
2: Yeah. It
0: does. But you know what? Many things, if you try and understand them with a different focus and from a different context, the way you understand them and the way you analogize them is going to be different. Right, if I want to explain um, how something works, right, is very different than trying to analog trying to explain the significance it has to people. Those are two different aspects of the same thing. So we're now talking about spheros as ways God has manifestation, and so I'm explaining spheros in that way. And previously, in chapter two, I explained spheros as a way that God has a n- Some a a definitive essence, which is a totally different idea. So you have to use different explanation of spheres. Mm -hmm. Which does mean in fact that different books explain spheres in different ways for different purposes.
1: Is that where the supernal comes from?
0: Ah. Well, so no, the supernal comes from the following There's actually a third type of dirt. Mm.
2: so
0: So there's the dirt, that's my body. There's the dirt that makes up you know, the tables, the chairs, and everything else, right? But there is a third type of dirt. No. <laughs> what about my clothes? Are my clothes in the same categories as cups and tables and chairs? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Why
0: not? Well, they're in, in as much as they're not my body. I would say yes, right? But they're made from. They're made from dirt, right? And everything's made from dirt.
3: And like the thing about men not wearing women's clothes.
0: Because while you're wearing the clothes, they take on some aspect of being part of you in some kind of a sense.
2: Also, does furniture. What? Like furniture in your
0: house. Right, so what you can actually do is once you can actually say, once you can add this third distinction, you can actually add more distinctions. Right? Once, you, once you're making this line that actually it's not just, there's the body, and the body is a clearly distinct category because the body is, the, the soul literally inhabits the body. But these are, you know what, it's not that, and then everything else is all equally the same, right? Clothes, right, they they, they are tailor-made to fit the body. You present yourself in clothes, you, you right? And then you think, okay, well, certain things aren't your clothes, but they're the tools you use, possessions you have. Then there's just things that are just like, you know, the ground you walk on. And you can start to kind of make gradations of how different things of dirt can be used to manifest you to various degrees. Which means that this idea that God creates these things called spheres in order to manifest through them, there's not just one kind of spheres, there are many kinds of spheres. What makes the supernal one supernal is that He manifests them in the way that a soul is in a body, as opposed to the non supernal spheres, are like the clothes, or your fork and knife, or your furniture, which are also th- ways that you can. There's not
2: only. Wait, there's supernal and,
0: and non supernal sphere. Are there
2: other ones?
0: What? Well, I mean, the non supernal grip have a bunch of layers, a bunch of levels.
1: Sorry,
0: could you bear yeah. on then, uh-huh. So, I'm going to give you, I see hands, but I want to finish the idea. Oof. We always have next week. Okay. So, in as much as my body directly responds to my will, and when things happen to my body, I can experience it directly, my body is a very unique kind of dirt, right? Very unique relationship with my soul. But... It's not really fair to say that all the rest of the dirt in the universe is all the same relative to me, right? My clothes have a much stronger connection <coughs> to me than, the, than, my, than the, the tools that I use and the furniture that I have. And the tools and furniture are a much closer connection to me than, say, just the pavement outside, right? And so you can actually start to make um, categories of how different physical things can be used to manifest the soul. In fact, going back to all of this, right? This cup is in some sense a manifestation of the person who made it, right? Like from the fact this cup exists, you know someone made it? Okay, so there is in some sense a manifestation. So you can then say that there are layers upon layers upon layers of these spheres, these things that God uses to manifest himself. What makes the supernal one special is that he directly inhabits them. There's no intermediate. So again, if I want to write something down, it's my soul to my hand to the pencil. Right? So if I have a piece of paper, can I bring it right? Okay. So this is a manifestation of a person, right? This manifests a soul? Sure. Somebody had it's a desire soul. and ideas and they put them down on paper? That's okay. So
2: cool. Okay.
0: Now <laughs> but then it's not the same thing as actually the, way, what the manifesting in the actual act of writing is the pen is moving, right? But the pen is moving is cl- not the same as the fact that they're, of, the, of the way the soul inhabits their hand, right? And in fact, I could say the way, that the, the way the paper with the ink manifests them is more remote than the way the, a- the pen while it's writing manifests. But both of those are nothing like the way the hand manifests because the hand manifests directly without having any intermediary. You need the hand to get to the pen you need the pen to get to the writing on the paper. You don't need anything between the soul and the hand. And so what makes the supernal spheres so interesting is that they are directly receptive to God's presence. Whereas all the other spheros, they manifest God only indirectly. And so there's all sorts of spheres, all sorts of things that, are, that God creates to manifest himself. What makes the supernal ones so interesting, what we talk about them so much is that they direct right, God directly manifests in them, He directly inhabits in those. Okay? So his relationship with them is like the soul to the body. His relationship to all other things is like the soul to the clothing or soul to a tool or soul to a furniture or soul to an apartment or soul to whatever. To writing that they've you know produced. So it literally means on high. And the idea is that as you go up the the highest level of sphera is special because it doesn't have any sphere between it and God. It's directly receptive to God.
2: So which spheres would
0: that be? You want fancy Kabbalistic language? Atzilos. Okay. That's what makes atzilos special. There's spheres in the world of Briah and spheres in the world of Yetzirah. Well, every world has Chachma through Malchus. What makes the Chochmah through Malchus of, what makes the Chochmah through Malchus of atzilos special is what's between that and Hashem. But what's between the Chachon Malchus of Bria and Hashem? The definition
1: of the word supernal means on high.
2: Yeah, high for it. Well.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's all it means. From the word super above.
1: So it is like
0: beyond. Yeah. If you go all the way up. How many sets? Well, um, broadly speaking, there are forty.
1: And why ten
0: specifically? We're not gonna talk about why there's ten. So the idea is that there's these 10 super... What does that mean? That there's these things. They're not God. They're not part of God. They're not aspects of God. They're things made by God, created by God. But what makes these 10 things special is that God does what? He inhabits them such that he directly manifests through them as opposed to other things which he has to indirectly manifest. Like the difference between your hand versus a pencil. And how many of those does he have? How many supernal spheres does he have? 10. And how many faculties does your soul have at any stage of development? And those two, his correspond to. And next week, we will learn why they correspond. And only then we will be able to understand what we mean in the sense that they correspond. All right, we're really moving. Two words. Two words. See, five words in the noble goal.
2: Noble.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, how many words is it in the Hebrew?
1: Nine. Less one. Divine <laughs> manifestation or the parentheses. Yeah. Supernal. Uh, Spherus
0: el yonis. Yeah, it's two yeah. words in the Hebrew too. Uh, can I ask a question
2: before you run away? That's the one most popular. Thank Thanks, Thanks. 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 Thanks.